Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. We're big animal lovers, pretty much all of us here. Let me introduce you, if you're new to the team here, Joey Villani right over here, the dog father from Animal Planets Dogs 101, and uh, groomer has it. Uh, Dr. Debbie, answering your vet medical questions. Sorry, I just spit on the microphone. (laughs) News director, or should I say moose director? Whatever you want to call me. Lori Brooks. I'm glad to see that you came back. That's a good sign. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. I do. I'm a big animal lover, so there's no place really I'd rather be. You have a few animals at home, too, don't you? I do. Three bulldogs and two cats, and that's probably a low census count for right now. Three, and what do you mean? It changes frequently? Yeah, I mean, in the past, there were several horses and lots of ducks, chickens, and things like that. The whole thing. I'm not in really a farm area right now, so I'm kind of limited now. Well, you see, we noticed that people, when they say they have three cats, <laughs> usually means six. Just usually. That's on a, I'm not, that's I'm not on saying a, that. That's on a rental application. Yeah, usually. Most cities have these laws. At least where we live, I know they have these laws. Yeah. And you can't have more than three or four cats or three or four dogs unless you're uh, in the business and yep. permitted and licensed. And then you have to have the property and space to accommodate them. And that's if you could even find a place to live because there are a lot of landlords that won't even let you nope. move in. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. You know, that, that kind of scares me because when you say it's double, I had somebody wanting to rent one of my houses at one time. Yes. And they said they had 40 cats. Holy moly. So The fact that they even that's admitted that. That's kind of that. borderline hoarderish. Yeah. yeah. It is. That really yeah. is borderline. I don't even think that's, I think that is hoarderish, but yeah. we don't know the situation. That is. That's, that's, that definitely true. is. True. I'm sorry. I love pets and I'll rent to people with pets, but not 40 cats. Cats can ruin floors. They can do a lot of damage, yeah. I have to admit. I know. Uh, okay, so let's uh, get back on track here. Today we have a guy who's written a book about introducing the dogs to the baby. So let's say, let's say you're going to have a brand new baby at the house and you already have a dog. How do you make that introduction so that there's no jealousy? Because you don't want the dog to be jealous because that could mm-hmm. cause all kinds of problems. That's very important that you do it right. On the way in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on over there in the newsroom? Well, um, if you are maybe looking for a new job, why not just do everything kind of over? Take a free do-over if you want. If you love animals, you can get a new job, move to a new country, and probably make more money. And we'll tell you where you would be able to do that. I like the sound of that. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Let's hit the phones for your calls. Hi, Denise. How are you? Hi. I'm okay. Thank you. How's everybody there? I think we're doing splendid. Awesome here. Where are you calling from today? Uh, South Central Pennsylvania. Oh, near Reading? uh, Yes, about uh, 15 miles west of Reading, actually. Oh, well, how are you doing today? What's going on? Um, I um, have a cat that I thought was a tortoise shell male. And I was told that it was rare. Tortoiseshell. And I didn't uh, was uh-huh. not aware of that. What is the determining factor as to how to tell if it's a tortoiseshell? Well, um, so when we're talking about colors of cats, there's the a lot of people know what a calico is, and calico is a tricolor. So you've got usually like black, red, and white. A tortoiseshell is a usually a two-color cat without white. So it could be red and black. Um, brown and black, um, kind of that. Now, what's interesting is usually uh, the red coat color is associated with females. So um, in most cases, a tortoiseshell cat or a calico cat is a female. Um, mm-hmm. The 
the trait for that orange color is actually on the female X chromosome. So in order to have a male, and if we verified sex, and you've had your vet check out and make sure we are, in fact, a male versus female. Yep, yep. He's, and we've confirmed he's, it. He's, He's got yeah he's got he's got the the uh, equipment. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, he's he's mostly brown with black striping and spotted mottled black, mm-hmm. and uh, a tiny bit of a uh, a lighter beige. Okay, yeah. Okay, so yeah, this is pretty rare to have a male that's a calico or a tortoiseshell, and uh, estimates, although it's not really known for certain, it's about one in three thousand. And uh, they're kind of neat, interesting little guys. You can actually specifically test their genetic background, and that can be done um, by a test through your veterinarian. We have to send it out to special um, labs. Um, I think the closest one on my West Coast is we usually send to the, the vet school at uh, UC Davis in California. But I'm sure on the East Coast there's um, a similar testing for on that area. Denise, what, what, uh, what difference will it make ultimately for you? Um, well, I was thinking that if he is indeed uh, a rare tortoise shell or, you know, whatever, then I would uh, put him into shows or something of that nature. Um, oh, well, you know. oh, I bet you wish, right? <laughs> You're not alone. Yeah. People who have these kitties, um, they used to call these cat money cats because um, there's a belief that they're somehow rare, valuable, going to make you lots of money. The bad news is that they're usually sterile. So they're of no value to any breeding generations other than kind of being cool, quirky, and having kind of uh, talk over at parties um, that you've got a, a kind of an unusual cat. It's really not going to make him um, more desired in any kind of circuit. So okay. show or otherwise. So sorry. Okay. <laughs> but it, nope. some people say they have really cool personalities and uh, they're really, um, you know, just interesting cats. But you will want to get them neutered um, just for the normal, typical reasons. Um, but, yeah, for breeding sake, he's he's got blanks. So. Wow. Okay. Well, he's, he's a rescue. Um, I uh, trapped a, a feral to just try to get her neutered and stuff. And as soon as I trapped mm-hmm. her, I saw that she was pregnant. And uh-huh. uh, she had five kittens immediately, almost immediately after I trapped her. So I've oh. got five of them. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, yeah. hopefully you have some answers there. Denise. All right. Thank you very much for all your help. Thanks for your call today. Calling from uh, the Reading area and listening on WEEU in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, interesting. I always learned something. I had no idea that they'd be shooting blanks. I didn't either. I'd never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in people, they actually, there's a, the syndrome called Kleinfelter syndrome. And it's the similar thing where they have two X chromosomes and one Y chromosome. Although in cats, there can be some other variations in the, in the chromosomes with uh, this condition. So. Okay. Aaron, what's going on with your dog? Um, well, she has fairly severe allergies. Um including hypersensitivity to his own Demodex canis, and um, including allergies to people, as well as a lot of foods. So I was wondering if what I could do to minimize that. I've gone through all of the steroids, all of them, atopica, prednisone, um, and tumoral pea. I've got him on a raw diet. I have him on ivermectin to help minimize the demodex irritation, but he is still every day uncomfortable, and I know that a regimen of, of uh, steroids throughout his life is not only going to compromise his liver and kidneys and immune system, but potentially shorten his lifespan. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Now, you sound like uh, you had him allergy tested. Is that correct? Yeah, we did both the viral, which I guess are not necessarily very accurate, and then we did the scratch testing, and he came up with um, pretty bad allergies to people, to mm-hmm. chicken, eggs, corn, rice, uh, pretty much everything that's in commercial dry dog food, which forced us to the, the raw diet. Okay, yeah. So um, if, you ha- if you had an allergy tested, did you at any time pursue allergy injections or desensitization therapy? We, di- we did, yes. I, we went through that for about a year. It seemed to have no effect whatsoever. And then we were going to do a rush induction um, and did that. Uh, I'm sorry, we did do a rush induction, and that still seemed to help not at all. And I know most dogs are allergic to certain seasons. He seems to be allergic year-round. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, wow, what a, what a lot you got going on with this baby. I mean, the real problem that we have is that when we attack a lot of these allergy issues with the immunosuppressants, the prednisone, the cyclosporine, things like the Demodex kind of come to the surface. And truly, um, we are hesitant to try to use anything really potent on the allergies till we can clear the Demodex. And that can take a long time. Um, some dogs, we don't clear it. And it's a constant battle with that. So for me, when I hear of a pet that we're dealing with allergies, that's having an active Demodex break, um, that's where I try to focus a lot of my efforts. That and any other concurrent infections, bacteria infections, yeast infections, and try uh-huh. to address those things and to address that as much as we can and then say, okay, let's regroup and then look at things uh, like steroids or uh, cyclosporine because it's actually the use of things like steroids indiscriminately a lot of times with these allergy patients that they give relief, but they can set up the pet to um, break with these uh, mites, uh, the Demodex mites. So right. that is, that's probably the, the best avenue that I could say to go to try to get a handle on things. And then if diet, if it is a year-round issue, then gosh, yeah, the diet would be a huge focus on how I would try to um, address that. And and definitely a lot of the, um, the blood allergy testing for food allergies is not always very useful. Um, yeah. So we usually try to do more of uh, the elimination diet. So things like raw are fine, but there's still things in raw food that can be an, an allergen. Um, so I'm not sure what therapies you've tried, but whether we go with a hydrolyzed protein or even a novel protein diet where we're trying to eliminate and only pick a few ingredients and keeping it really uh, pure, if you will. Um, and that's how I like to go after the food allergy component with the, the year-round issues. And then sure. making sure fleas are under control. Got to keep those fleas under control as well um, if that's an issue for your area. It's not. He was uh, he was in Las Vegas, and actually, unfortunately, now he is um, he's in Arizona at a foster home for the time being. Um, but we did do the elimination diet. We did that for about two years with the journal, um, and we we have him on a minimal amount of ingredients, which seem to be okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just yeah. this is this is what I'm just saying. I had to get the wall a little bit. Yeah, and and it will be. In his situation, I would be realistic in that this is going to be a lifelong battle. Um, and I recently had someone move to from Michigan to Las Vegas, and they said, oh, we did all the allergy testing in Michigan, and you know what, we know he's allergic to things. And I said, well, you know, after you're in a new environment, there are different allergens, and some may be a greater component than others. So retesting when there is a move and potentially going on another allergy therapy um, might be another thought.
Well, Pixel, the Animal Radio Studio Stunt Dog, is five months old now. Five months. Isn't it funny how time flies? We've learned so much. Some uh, good things, some bad things. It's definitely been a big learning curve, even though it's not our first puppy. And one of the things we've learned about is Whiz Smart Puppy Pads. We used the other ones, trust us, and they were horrible. They didn't absorb, and as your dog stepped off, you had little wet footprints all across your floor that you had to follow behind them and clean up. And you know, that was the norm for years and years and years, until WizSmart was invented. I found out they're made from upcycled materials, deconstructed, and of course, unused diapers. Now when Pixel goes to the bathroom, she keeps her paws dry, and she doesn't track around the house, and she can use the same pad all day long. This is a really thick pad that holds about eight cups. Now, I haven't measured it yet, but I can tell you that Pixel uses one a day. So all day long, she uses one pad. It dries immediately. It does not smell. These are definitely premium puppy pads that you should check out. And of course, you know, everything we talk about, we try here. You know, you keep saying puppy pads, but they're great for older dogs too, for senior dogs. And, you know, even for all dogs, like in the winter, if you live where there's snow, you can put the pads down. They're great all year round for dogs of all ages. The folks over at WizSmart wanted us to tell you about their new essentials line, giving you premium pad quality with a lower price. It's coming out this summer. Yeah, but you forgot to mention it's their charcoal essential pad. This is a special pad. Yeah, I hear that charcoal absorbs liquid like magic. Here's the website, whizsmart.com. That's W-I-Z-S-M-A-R-T dot com. I think you'll be pretty pleased with what you see. Yeah, do it for your pups and do it for yourself. Whizsmart.com. That's W-I-Z-S-M-A-R-T dot com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi. You must be a child of the 90s, a young gal, huh? Oh, well, you're flattering, but not hardly. A child of the 70s. Really? Aisha? Yeah. Aisha. I thought, I, thought, I thought Aisha was kind of a newer name, no? No, it's one of the older ones. All the other shows are the newer ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the old shows. So what's going on? I have Dr. Debbie right here. I understand something's going on with your animal. Yes. Hi, Dr. Debbie. How are you doing? Hi, super. And how about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I have a three-year-old Doberman. Her name is Simon, and she has um, what well, we're calling it incontinence. She um, will lay down, and it's, it's kind of like she potties in the bed. She'll be laying on her dog bed, and she'll just urinate. Um, not defecation, but urinate, and so like pretty much she'll be laying down, and when she gets up, um, there's a nice little potty spot where she where she okay. was laying. Um, and she's, she's great. She's a wonderful dog. She's great with the kids. I would love to have her sleeping, you know, in the kid's room on a dog bed or something like that, But I, or even on the bed. But I just can't trust that we won't have that problem with the urination. And she's pot- pottying outside during the day okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's not a potty training issue. She knows to okay. go outside. Uh, we have... We don't really have a doggy door, but we kind of keep the back door open from time to time. And she'll go on outside and go to the bathroom, defecate outside. Um, it just, 
it seems like usually when she's sleeping, if she has been asleep for a long period of time and she gets up whatever blanket or area she's on, there's a nice little urination spot right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And Alrighty, so, and-, um, and I've been told that there's medication I can give her, but no one seems to know the name of the medication, anything about the medication, um, but just your thoughts. Okay, absolutely, yes. And when we have a dog, especially a female dog, that is incontinent, leaking urine when they're sleeping or relaxed or getting from a lying position getting up, um, yes. we we tend to look for female um, incontinence um, medications. And is she spayed by any chance? Yes, she is. She is. Okay. Because the, the number one population we see this in is the spayed female dog. And some, some thoughts actually recognize this problem could be as high as 15 to 20% of dogs that are spayed. So okay. one of the reasons that nowadays many, um, folks with the laparoscopic spays are actually just removing the ovaries because it's, uh, thought to maybe be implicated with that. Um, okay. but yes, so there are some very useful medicines. And I can tell you my own Labrador is on two of those to help control her problem. Problem because oh, wow. um, it was, yeah, I recognized it in my dog at two years of age. Um, okay. And so the first line medication, um, well, I'm going to back up. First, the, always what I'd like to do first is to check a urine sample, make sure nothing's going on in there. No signs okay. of infection. Make sure there's no crystals that might make us worried about bladder stones, things of that nature. Um, once that's good, then I'll look at the medicine. And the first one we go to is uh, phenylpropanolamine, or okay. Proin is one of the common trade names of that. And that's something that it's generally given twice a day to three times a day and um, can, for many dogs, do wonderfully to help improve the tone in the bladder so that we don't have these leaking episodes. Um, Beyond that, there is also an estrogen compound. It's called diethylstilbestrol, and we abbreviate abbreviate it DES. Um, And it it has to be uh, compounded at an outside pharmacy that uh, makes prescriptions. Um, So you probably won't find that readily at your veterinary office unless they already have someone compounding that. Um, And that um, is not always the first choice because it's an estrogen compound, and we have to kind of watch to make sure we're not giving too much, um, that it can suppress the bone marrow. We can relieve lead to problems with uh, anemia. Um, okay. I've never seen it. Um, it can happen. And we worry also about, you know, giving too much, causing estrogen stimulation. So maybe feeding the concerns with breast cancer. Um, okay. So we want to use this cautiously with veterinary supervision. But I can tell you um, that yeah, drug. What is, what is um, your dog? You said your dog is on what? She is on both of those. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And um, we actually had her on the phenylpropylamine for quite a few years, and she did well with that. And then eventually we lost control, and she started having leaking. So we added in the DES, and that's usually added in. At first, we start on a daily basis, and then some dogs we get down to just maybe once or twice a week, and oh, wow. that kind of helps control. And it's interesting. Both of these medicines, when they're used together, they, they work better than one agent by themselves. So um, it's not unusual that we'll we'll use them together for a pet. And I'll have to tell you that, um, you know, Dobermans are definitely a breed that can have an incontinence problem, even if they're not spayed. So um, we do see that um, very commonly in these, in these gals. So uh, could it have um, anything to do with the tail docking or is that just not, not it? 
Probably not. Um, and, okay. and I mentioned okay. that, you know, there's some thought that perhaps uh, having surgery in that area, basically having the uterus removed, might cause some change to the nerves in the area or to, uh, you know, the, the structure in that area. But okay. um, um, now, and then there are some other more extreme techniques, and I can't tell you I've had anybody go through them, but I've heard of some fellow colleagues um, that pets can have collagen injections into the bladder. Oh, wow. And that um, helps to give a little bit of a thickening to the bladder. And for many dogs, that may work wonderfully, but it can have a temporary effect, so they have to go back for you know additional treatments. And that's usually done at specialty centers, um, vet schools, things of that nature. So, okay, um, okay. Not widely used. Okay, thank you. We wish you the best of yes. luck with that, Aisha. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you so much. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi, I'm Charlotte Ross on Animal Radio. Please remember to spay and neuter your pets. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Hey, if you love animals and maybe you're looking to do something new and exciting in your life, maybe a new job, well, how about a whole new adventure and consider moving across the pond, you know, to England, where dog walkers earn a fifth more than the average UK salary by working only two weeks out of every month. So that's like working half of what most of us would. Dog walkers in the UK charge an average of almost $18 an hour per dog, and they walk 192 dogs per month on average. Are you following my math? That adds up to an annual earning of about $41,000, which is 20% higher than the British national average salary. Britons, by the way, spending on their pets is set to surpass $7 billion. They say that's a 25% increase since 2010. And around a fifth of that spending, by the way, goes on things like non-food items for pets, which includes, you know, pet toys, pet grooming, pet daycare, all the fun stuff. It's that time of year for allergies for all of us and our pets, too. But unlike humans who can get hay fever because, you know, of breathing in pollen, pets primarily develop allergies through their skin. You see dogs walking around on the floor. You can picture this. Act like a dust mop. 
So if dogs are allergic, then their skin is going to itch. You may notice some scratching and keeping you awake at night and licking their paws a lot. The flare in allergic skin disease, according to experts, even when typically well-controlled, will lead to increases in itching and scratching. So be on the alert for that. And then what happens is all that itching and scratching creates secondary skin infections, which involve bacteria and or yeast, too, which can really compound the problem and make the dog cat horse even even more itchy and by the way did you know that some pets can even be allergic to fleas so you can see how important flea prevention becomes because when even one little flea bite can blow up for a dog or a cat that is allergic to fleas can go into dermatitis and they say a dog that is allergic to fleas can scratch for two weeks from one little tiny flea bite. I'm Lori Brooks, and you can get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Hi, this is Carrie Annie Naba from Dance with the Stars. Don't forget to stay new to your animals, and you're listening to Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. Let's go to the phones right now. We have Elaine. Hi, Elaine. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good. What's up? I was just wondering. I had a question for the dog father. Uh My dogs love to swim in the pool. We're very active. Um, They're always jumping in. And I wanted to know, how does the um, chlorine affect the coat? Oh, good question. Should we get them groomed more, um, brush them out more? I just wanted to know that they change the color. Will it discolor your dog? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you, it, it's just like your hair. If you go in the pool too much, um, you may get some discoloration, um, which is not going to be significant, but you could turn your brown dog a little bit red or your black dog a little bit red, um, but it'll go away. Is the chlorine bad for the, them? It's Well, let's put it this way. It's not going to kill them, but it's it's not the greatest. It's you know, it's, it's no different than for our skin. It's going to dry it out. It's going to leave a residue, and a lot of people don't believe that that it leaves a residue but i'll give you a good example of that if you ever work to put um with with water that had bleach in it okay and you take your hands out it it leaves almost like a film like a slimy feel that sometimes is a little bit hard to actually rinse away well the chlorine almost works the same way what's going to do it's going to attach itself to the coat so even just a quick rinsing we'll get most of it away but it's going to leave some behind that could irritate or cause the skin to dry out so if you can um, what I would do is I would make a mixture of bleach. I'm um, bleach. I'm sorry. I would make a mixture of white vinegar. Let's not put any more bleach on a scratch dog. the bleach. Yeah, scratch the bleach. Um, let's um, take some white vinegar, a quarter cup, to a gallon of water. Okay, and if you can just add a just a cup. When I say a drop, I literally mean a drop of shampoo because what that'll do that'll help the um, the product grab onto the coat so it doesn't just flush right over it. It'll actually work. And pour that over your pet as a rinse, okay? After you rinsed your pet with plain water, use that as a rinse. So what that's going to do, that's going to help remove all the impurities that are left behind. Same way if you, if you washed your floor and, and, and you went back over it with, um, with water and, and, and white vinegar, it'll make it shine more because what it's going to do is going to lift up the residue. Well, that's going to do the same thing to your pet's coat. 
And then when your coat, the dog's coat is just about 90% dry, I would run a brush and a comb through it, and then one more time completely when he's dry or she's dry, and you'll have no problems. See, I only let my dog go into the pool once a year, and that's at the end of the year. They have these uh, around Labor Day where the, all the pools, just before they shut down, the public mm-hmm. pools, they, let, they encourage the dogs to come in and fill up all the filters with their dog hair, <laughs> and then they clean it all out. It's a new one to me as well. Is it new to you? You've never heard of that? Yeah. No, I haven't. Wow. Really? You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. Is your dog happiest when splashing around in a pool? Dog trainer Steve Dell says dog owners with pools should pool-proof their pets. He teaches dog owners how to train their dog to get out of the pool, saying a dog would naturally swim to shore in a lake but make it confused in a pool. They have to be taught where the stairs are. It sounds like a simple idea, but a dog can drown while panicking trying to get out of the pool. Dell suggests leading your dog into the pool by the stairs, then encouraging him to come back to you using the stairs to get out of the pool. It's also important to keep the pool gate closed to prevent accidental falls. For pets and humans alike, safety is an important part of having fun in a pool. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Hey, it's Vinny Penn coming back at you with another party animal segment. Animal radio, baby, because you're demanding it. Thanks for all of the emails I've been getting from people who are like, this should be a TV show. This should be Vinny Penn's animal radio. All of you people out there saying that you want it extended to being a full half hour long and an hour. All right, nobody's emailed me in this regard. Uh, But you can email me at Vinny at AnimalRadio.com. Okay, this week's topic, very uh, true story. True story. Um, No exaggeration here. We've been having a problem in my neighborhood for the past couple of summers with, uh, we've been plagued by skunks. I've been having a real skunk problem. Uh, The stench could just, you know, from them just firing off their skunk lasers in the middle of the night could wake you from a sound sleep at three in the morning. I even set trap. I I had to, I hate to do it. You know, I didn't want anything destroyed. I'll plead the fifth or, or just... Say it's naivete. I don't know how this goes, but I did have someone come out and set a trap for the skunk. I mean, I have two small children. It was waking. The stench was the stank was waking us up every night. Lo and behold, one day a couple of weeks ago, I hear kerplunk in the middle of the day in the pool in the backyard. I look out. The skunk has fallen in the pool in the middle of the day, which suggests rabies. Am I right? Is that urban myth? Is is that a wives' tale? I heard of a skunk or a raccoon. If you see them in the middle of the day, chances are very good that they these are nocturnal creatures to a degree, uh, so they could be rabid. I don't know if that's urban myth or not. But he felt falls in the pool, so I stand. I'm an animal lover. I stand there and I think this is it. I just gotta. This is how it's gonna have to end. I'm just gonna have to let him. You know, there was a trap in the yard. I'm just going to have to let him go this way. But I couldn't take it. I couldn't take being in the house and there's an animal splishing and splashing around in my pool. So I went and I told my wife, I said, we've finally resolved the skunk issue. It's in the pool right now. And she said, what? She looked at me kind of funny. I said, I know. I hate that it has to 
wind up this way. But, uh, you know, it's finally going to solve the issue. The skunk has been, you know, terrorizing the neighborhood. So I just left the room, didn't think anything of it. All of a sudden, I heard the sliding glass door open and close. I look out the window, and my wife is out there with the pool skimmer. True story, hand to God. And fishes the big, fat, stinky skunk out of our pool. Now, there's a part of me that's livid because this issue for three summers is finally resolved and she's fishing it. So I'm thinking, I want to see that tail come up and this rabid skunk just blast her because then she'd have to take a bath in tomato juice, too, which would be kind of sexy, actually, to me. But I'm into some strange stuff. And low build, I swear, it's like she she dropped it off in the lawn. It's like the skunk was like Pepe Le Pew or something. It just looked at her and said, "Mm, thank you. Ma chérie. And you just gave her a wink? I swear, I think I saw the skunk wink and took off. How would you feel? How would you feel if this skunk was plaguing your neighborhood, fell into a neighbor's pool, pool, the issue could have finally been resolved, and some little house on the prairie weaned housewife had to save it with the pool skimmer? You let me know. Vinnie Penn, party animal on Animal Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Brett Michaels, and I just want to say you, right now, want to take, wait, give me the line again. My brain skipped. Uh, Brett Michaels. I just had one of my brain hemorrhage brain farts. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want to be responsible for that. Trust me, it's me. Go ahead. Animal Radio. Brett Michaels, Animal Radio. You got it. I knew the Animal Radio. Like, okay, here we go. Hey, this is Brett Michaels. You're listening to Animal Radio, and take care of your pets. They will rock your world. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. And we were just talking about excuses why people get rid of their dogs. Allergies was one of them. Uh, Another excuse is, well, going to have a baby. Don't need the dog around the house. That's the last thing I need around the house. Yeah, I'm afraid the dog, you know, might harm the baby or something. That's just crazy talk. I'll tell you that right now. That's uh, I would never get rid of my dog. In fact, I would think that the baby and my child would, uh, that would be a great thing for them eventually to have a relationship and a bond together and grow up together. Yeah, and I think what children raised with animals have less allergies over their lifetime with regard to animals. I've heard that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I got to just say that, uh, well, you know what? Let's get the expert on. He's a trainer, dog trainer, Michael Wambacher. He's written a book called Good Dog, Happy Baby. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the calls we always get is about 
jealousy and dogs be, being very jealous about the baby. And, you know, that scares me because I wonder if there's going to be some kind of fight or bite down the, the line. Or How should we be introducing our children to the babies? Well, I think uh, you want to think about it way before the introductions come. So I, the concern about jealousy is a real one. So, you know, people always ask me, what's the number one piece of advice you could give me to make this thing work? Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, whatever, ch- think about the changes that are going to happen in your dog's life when that baby arrives in your schedule, the amount of time that you can spend with him and so forth, and be sure to introduce those changes well in advance of the baby's arrival. So when the baby arrives, the dogs aren't stupid. They're very good at figuring out patterns and associations. They'll know if suddenly, you know, their part-time is down and they're not, you know, they're kicked off the bed and the furniture because this baby, they'll definitely take a dim view. But if all the stuff is done, you know, six, five, six, seven, eight weeks prior, then it just, you know, the dog can't make that connection and the dog's less likely to take a dim view of the newcomer. So that's the number one thing. That makes sense. Judy's dog is always around her. I mean, it's... (laughs) Ladybug is... shadow. Constantly looking (laughs) at her all the time. I got to think that if, if Judy had a baby... Wouldn't that start some kind of competition with the dog? When the dog, I mean, how do you really get around that? Well, and that's why it's so important. You know, one of the things I point out, really, the first third of the book is uh, is committed to something I call rank management. I call it the doggy twelve step program. But I mean, I didn't invent this. But this is uh, this is just twelve simple steps that you can make sure that your dog, your dog's relationship with you, is uh, you know, is structured appropriately and such that such that the dog understands. I mean, to use a kind of old language, who's the boss, who's running the show, who's structuring the social situations. And if your dog looks at you that way, then, uh, then it's not so difficult to bring, you know, a newcomer, whether it's a baby or another dog or whatever, into the house because the dog will be looking to you for cues about the social interaction. But oftentimes, that's not in place. And then there's a kind of codependency that can develop between dogs and people that, that, that will and does create problems. You know, that's, I mean, that's the main reason I wrote the book because there's an awful lot of that. But it doesn't have to be like that. And there's an enormous amount of things you can do, well, especially through preparation, but also through you know patching things up if they've gone along a ways already. Mm-hmm. Now, I got a question for you because I, I have a lot of clients that really baby their dogs and, and really treat them like their furry children. So can they have it both ways? Can they treat continue to treat that dog Ooh. like that doting child and then have um, a human child? Definitely, you can spoil your dog without spoiling the relationship. There's a problem is most people do both at the same time. And in fact, there's a way you can, so the answer to your question is yes, but you can structure it, actually you can structure that in such a way that the dog would associate the, the love and the affection and the attention and the babying that he's been getting or she's been getting from you with the presence of the child. So one of the things I encourage people to do once the baby's on the ground is uh, during the times that the baby goes down for a nap, Often what people do is indulge the dog a little bit because now they've got time. So I say, no, put the dog down also. You know, you know that you want to have a little safe place that the dog can go and just isolate and crate the dog or whatever. Put the dog on its own for a little while, and then maybe mom takes a nap. Uh, when the baby comes out and it's time to nurse or change diapers or whatever, then you bring the dog into that interaction in such, in such a way that the dog associates familial, familial closeness with the three of you and starts seeing, oh, the presence of the child means nice attention for me and love for me it's not so we're not setting up a competitive dynamic but rather a you know a a friendship now dogs don't necessarily lash out against the baby they may do other destructive things they may start chewing on my couch or start digging in my trash or something they they Mm -hmm. redirect it 
Uh, that can happen, but again, if, if, if one's taken care, I mean, if that's the case, then you have to deal with those things as a sort of ad hoc issue. If those big and sort of trash, then there's things you can do. But um, but generally, it's uh, the displeasure is usually actually directed at the baby or expressed in some form of separation anxiety or something like that. Um, but you know, if there's to the degree that there's ancillary behaviors that start to develop, uh -huh. you have to just deal with those. You know, in the same way you would with if there wasn't a baby around. But mm -hmm. if the baby dynamic is driving it, then you want to look at the way you set up that whole relationship. You know, in other words, the core problem is the dog's feeling left out. And that's the part that's definitely fixable. I was wondering about maybe, you know, a dog is not really, I don't think, going to just do that out of the out of the blue. What are some of the signs that we're going to look for, some of the things that the dog is going to do that might signal us something could happen? Well, just the general sense of dis-ease. You know, um, I mean, the main thing is sort of slinking away, not being sure how to relate to the child when the child, you know, fear primarily, fear or agitation. The baby starts crawling towards or reaching towards, there's a shrinking away, there's a sense of depression. You know, those would be all signs that, like, something's up. And, you know, the, the mistake people make when they see stuff like this, they ignore it. They just say, no, it'll be fine. It'll just take a little time. But left, left alone, things like that, they tend to... There's an old saying, dogs don't grow out of things, they grow into them. Um, and that's true. So the main mistake would be just to ignore that behavior. And again, the book is full of, in the last third of the book, there's a lot of information about how to, how to set it up so the dog really starts to develop strong, positive associations with the presence of your child at various ages, but primarily in the, you know, in the infant to toddler stage. Okay. If you have a fur child and you're thinking of adding a two-legged child to the house, I encourage you to pick up the book, Good Dog, Happy Baby. The author joining us, Michael Wambacher. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I am the family dog, and it's that time of year again. The one where pet parents start looking for Fido-friendly hotels and destinations where Fido is welcome. Make no bones about it. Pets are part of the family, and we like to sniff out new places too. And we hate to be turned away, especially when we're on our best behavior. So we won't be left out in the cold. Be sure to pick up a copy of Fido Friendly Magazine to find the best hotels and destinations where Fido is always welcome. Go online to FidoFriendly.com and subscribe today. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. This hour, another hero. One of our, is it our last hero or second to last hero? Second to last. Second to last hero mm -hmm. as this segment draws to a conclusion after, what, 26 weeks. And again, hopefully just an amazing hero. Ten-year-old, I believe. Ten-years-old. We've had a few of these, and uh, the last one a couple weeks back. Just adorable. <laughs> I just love it when these kids get involved with the animals at such a young age. Well, that's on the way right here on Animal Radio. Lori Brooks working hard in the newsroom. What do you got going on this hour? Well, you know, you're talking about reasons that people uh, might get rid of their pets, uh -huh. like, you know, having a baby or something. Another one of those, how many times have you heard, well, so-and-so is allergic? We hear that oh, all the time. Yeah. So we'll mm -hmm. talk about, yeah, pets and allergies, what you need to look out for and be aware of and some of the signs and, and what, what they can evolve into. So why you really want to be on top of it and deal with it in the beginning. Okay, that's on the way right here on Animal Radio. First year calls. We're going to line three where we have Bob on the phone. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. What's hey. going on in your world? Oh, just sitting here playing on a laptop waiting for a load. 
waiting for a load. So you're not sitting in the bathroom. Well, I was earlier, but not now. <laughs> not that kind of load. You're, you're you're probably OTR is what I'm thinking. You're waiting to pick up a, a delivery, right? Well, yeah, that too. Okay. <laughs> We'll try not to disturb you there, Bob. <laughs> oh, no problem. You don't hear an echo or anything, do you? Uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, i got a question for you. How come okay. it is that you get your dog chipped, you go to a vet, the vet's never checked the chips as a, you know, when you, just when you do an average check of the dog, when you hook the dog over and got to give them a, you know, a glance over and, and check them out, I never mm-hmm. bother to check to see if they have a chip in them to see if the dog is wrong to the people that brought the dog in. Right. I had a dog stolen. I had a dog stolen a while back that had a chip. And oh. if the vet had bothered to check, he would have found out the dog was stolen. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, did you ever you never got the dog back? No, we never did. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. You know, the, the big thing and the challenge with it is that checking for a chip isn't the same thing as checking for the ownership of the chip because they're, they're different things there. So um, there are some veterinarians that have a policy of scanning each and every pet that comes to the door. Um, and it really depends on the hospital policy. Now, if they do that, they find a chip number. But that does not mean once we run that scanner over that chip, it, nothing lights up and says this pet is stolen. It just says this is the number for that pet. So in order to actually find out if that pet is stolen or lost, you have to call the microchip registration, give that number, and find the disposition of what the status of that chip is. If it's stolen, reported stolen, lost, or never registered. And I'll tell you, never registered is a huge problem with microchips. But that's another topic. So just because they check for a microchip doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily get your dog back if Joe down the road takes the dog in says, hey, this is my dog. My uncle gave it to me from Tennessee. And they check him for a microchip. And they say, yeah, yeah, we know he has a microchip. We haven't registered it yet. There's no way that veterinarian is going to play cop. And they're not going to know that that gentleman is not being honest with them. They may know there's a chip there. But there's a little bit of some um, discretion as far as, you know, what's the incidence of suspicion. So for me, what I do, every new pet that I see, puppy, kitten, adult, if it's a new pet that's to my practice, I scan them. And you know, I've had people where there have been some weird situations where they'll say, ah, you know, no, he doesn't have a chip. And if he has a chip and they state they've never had a chip, for me, that's a really big red flag that goes up. And I start calling um, and checking on that status of that chip. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah, it sure has. And, you know, um, it is surprising how many people, when they find an animal and they see it and maybe in, um, you know, unkept state, you know, maybe it's matted, it's got wounds on it or it looks skinny. And there's a lot of people, when they find a stray animal like that, they say, oh, whoever had that pet didn't love him. They wouldn't have allowed him to get this way. And I'll tell you, I had a cat that somebody found uh, a year prior brought it in for vaccines for me, and I scanned it. It had a microchip. We had the owners there within five minutes, and the lady who found the animal actually was contesting and saying, no, I don't want to give it back because she was running loose. Obviously, that lady didn't love her. So there's a lot of people that kind of have that mindset, you know, when they find a stray animal, and um, it it can really make a problem for those um, honest people that have their pets microchipped and that want to do use the system how it's supposed to work. Um, That's really part of the problem. But, yeah, I agree with you. 
Uh, it'd be nice if, you know, we were more thorough in not only scanning, but also having some means to check on those chips to make sure that, um, you know, what the status is. But uh, whew, in a busy yeah. office day, you know, it would be hard. You'd have to have, a, you know, a deputy or someone to be checking on all those microchips to make sure that each and every well, one is valid. I didn't, know that, I didn't know that it was number. I have home again on my dog now, and uh, they told me that when you scan it, the name of the owner comes up. Nope, I didn't know it was incorrect. just a number. Yeah, you know, it's just a number, but you know, there ought to be something that the companies can do if you have a microchip in a dog and your dog is lost or stolen, you should be able to report it, and they should be able to do something so when that well, chip is read that it comes up in a, an alert or something. That doesn't get flagged. If I call home again and say, hey, my dog was gone, and I can't find him, don't they, they can't put a flag on, yeah. that, on all that chip, so if somebody does scan it, it'll come up and say, dang, Harry's, uh, this dog's missing. Yeah, they you know, they, can put, they can put a flag on the information, but they can't put a flag on the chip. That's too so bad. until we have like a centralized system where, you know, when you scan a pet, it's immediately read at some central body and they can verify the information. That That isn't what we've got right now. Right now we've got a system a little bit short of that and there's different registration companies. So th- there is a lot of uh, kind of areas where this is not foolproof. You also um, mentioned one other thing that I do want to touch upon is that once the chip is in, you also got to register it. And a lot of people just put the chip in and what, they forget to register? Yeah. And even some shelters um, that will have a chip in a pet when you adopt it, if it's not registered into the new owner's name, it'll never do any good. It only registers and brings that pet back to that shelter. Then they have to go through their records during business hours to hopefully track down the people that adopted. And hopefully the address is still the same from when they adopted to what the, whatever date that is. So there's, yeah, it's very important. Immediate registration. And at our office, we put a microchip in. And before that dog or cat or ferret or potbelly pig leaves the office, we're already filling out that paperwork and it gets sent in. Oh, plus people so. move and then they don't update yeah. The microchip guilty. address. Yes, we, yeah. we're we guilty of that. We forget to update the address. Yeah. Does that answer some questions for you there, Bob? Yes, it sure does. I, I'm kind of curious, and I just figured out to ask. Okay, good question. Very good question. Sorry that you didn't uh, find your dog there. That's uh, that's an unfortunate case there. How long ago uh, was that? Oh, it's, it's been several years back. I've uh-huh. got a purebred golden retriever now that's really taking his place. Good, good. He's in everything, but he's, he's my buddy. Okay. And he's microchipped. <laughs> oh, he's chipped. Oh, yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, we appreciate you listening, Bob, and uh, we'll let you back, get back to your load there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Fear Free Happy Homes. Don't forget you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Download it now. It's made possible by Fear Free Happy Homes. Helping your pets live their happiest, healthiest, fullest lives at home, at the vet, and everywhere in between. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. And thanks, Fear Free, for underwriting Animal Radio. I believe we have Deborah on the phones. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you? Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, Tampa, Florida. What's going on? How can we help you? Okay, I have a question for Dr. Debbie. Okay. All right, I'm right here. I have a a two-year-old Cocker Spaniel, and she is about the most athletic uh, Cocker Spaniel I've ever known. And what she loves, as soon as I get home every day, we go to the backyard, and I throw the ball. She runs like a Jack Russell Terrier and jumps two to three feet off the ground and catches the ball. 
Oh, boy. (laughs) We all love it. She loves it, and I love it, too. But I have had uh, Cocker Spanos in the past, and I'm aware of hip and back leg problems, and I'm concerned, is this good for her legs or bad for her legs, the jumping and landing on the ground? It's a great question, Deborah, and I, I love that that you have an athletic dog because for um, Cocker Spaniels, they are the smallest of the sporting breeds. So this is totally typical for these guys, and too many Cocker Spaniels are couch potatoes. So I love that you're getting your baby out there. Um, but, yes, they are definitely prone to some hind limb problems, and in the knee area, we are very aware of medial patellar luxation, so where the kneecap pops in and out of place. And in about one-quarter of Cocker Spaniels, actually have this condition. So it is something that if you um, haven't had it diagnosed, a, a good physical, your vet can pick this up on a physical exam. If we do have something like that or hip dysplasia, we may want to temper our activity because studies do show that dogs that engage in very vigorous jumping um, performance type activities, that it can hasten the development of osteoarthritis in dogs that have these kind of problems. Um, okay. But if she's not been diagnosed with that, I don't see a reason not to let her enjoy that with a couple premises. Um, As far as the first thing that I would always, always ask is that we make sure we keep your baby in good lean weight. Uh, because a pet that's carrying extra weight, that's extra forces that are on the joints um, when she is jumping and when she's playing. Um, and, and that can definitely increase her rate that she could injure her um, hind limbs in not just those problems, but the other more common problems um, that we do see with um, athletic dogs and injuring themselves. Um, the other thing is that I would make sure also is that we um, condition her to that activity. So it sounds like she's doing this regularly and she's pretty active, but we don't want to just kind of do the weekend warrior type thing where one day she gets to jump and leap and do all this. So we build up to that. So that may be um, leash walking. Um, we may take her out for other more sustained activity. And then just uh-huh. making sure that, you know, that she's got good structure when she's jumping, uh, when she's doing her activity. So the, the ground uh, does matter to where she's playing as well. Well, she's pretty impressive when you see her, and it is a daily activity, so I do appreciate your uh, opinion there. Excellent. Well, give that baby a pat on the head, and I love the activity. Mr. Boss is going to get out there and join her, I think. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your call, Deborah. We appreciate it. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hey, this is Paula Poundstone. Wait, I forget where I am. Animal Radio. Animal Radio. I love that. 
Hey, this is Paul Poundstone on Animal Radio. Spay and neuter your pets or we're going to be eaten alive! You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. We are celebrating our connection with your pets. Lori, what are you working on over there in the newsroom? What's going to happen this hour? Well, it might be too many bad treats. Um, you know, treats that may be like too sweet, like we humans indulge in. But how are our pets doing when it comes to dental care? Ooh. They did some big research on it, and I'm going to tell you what happened. I'm feeling like that's not going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. I'll tell you. Okay. Let's head to the phones where we have Kathleen for the dog father. Hi, Kathleen. Where are you calling Hi. from? I'm calling from the Reading, Pennsylvania area. So what's going on? Well, I have a rescue. Um, I got him from the uh, Golden Retriever Rescue. Um he hates to have anything done with his feet. Now, I take him to a groomer to get his nails done, but to trim the fur, I have to trim the fur, and he doesn't want me to do it. Uh, the last time I was doing well, one of the last times, he got himself into a corner, and I thought, oh, now he has to stay. He figured out a way to get from me, get away from me. Hey, can I ask you, is it, what's he trying to do? Is, is he trying to bite um, while you're doing it? No, he just wants to get away. Now, the and, uh, last one that I had, she actually threatened me one time, but I still was able to do, trim her nails, I mean, her, her fur. And uh, this guy has a bad back. I used to just, he'd, they'd be laying down, and I could just grab them by the legs and turn them over to the other side. This guy, I don't dare do that because I, I think I hurt him. Mm. Now, are you using um, a scissor or are you using a clipper or a buzzer? A scissor. Okay, um, I would be, first thing I would be is I'd be careful with scissors only because I've seen some, so many accents. So that you, you, you definitely sounds like he's foot shy because the scissors don't make, don't make any noise. Um, and I, I'm assuming you're trying to do this um, by yourself. Yes. Okay. Well, two things. I'm going to be quite honest with you. If, if doing it on, on a floor, or on a table without any sort of restraint um, from a person or having a professional grooming table, um, even even me would have um, a, a big problem um, mm -hmm. doing that, especially if the dog was, was, was fighting you. So the first thing I would do is, is I would have someone, if you, if you have someone in the household, then actually can, can hold the pet's head, but not holding it in a manner like you restraining the dog. Yeah. What you're going to do is you're going to hold it as if you're petting the dog, rubbing its ears, and, and almost distract them uh, that's from what I um actually do when I, you know when I start working on him I'll be brushing him and talking to him and he'll settle down but as soon as I try to clip the fur oh he's ready to leave and he Is there any reason any reason why you just don't have the groomer do it when you go and have the nails done Well they don't do it I would I would ask them straight out because yeah. it's much easier for them to do it yeah. because they have the equipment to do it. Right. See the problem that my concern is is with what, the way that you're doing it is this. Um, he sounds very foot shy, so even when someone's holding it, you're having a problem. Um, if you do happen to um, nick the dog um, because it, he he kicks back on you or tries to get away yeah. and you're trying to get it done quickly, it's going to make the situation worse. So. Two suggestions: either tell your groomer, which they really shouldn't be charge you. Um, if, if you came into my salon, you asked for nails and pads. I wouldn't charge you any more to do the pads or the, or the dog, mm -hmm. or, if, or if it's anything, it would be very nominal. Um, 
or I would go out and get a um, a, a grooming table on, on the inexpensive side. You can get them anywhere from $75 to $150. And at least you can have the dog in a proper restraint where yeah. you're not going to get hurt and the pet's not going to get hurt. But really, those are your only two options because the way you're doing it now, it's 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 it, it could be a, a bad situation for both of you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, the first time I took her to... No, I guess it was the second time I took him up to the groomer. Um, she came out with a muzzle. Now, this is a big dog, and he does growl. In fact, there's another thing that I wonder. Do dogs um, purr? Because he'll be making a noise, and he'll be wagging his tail at the same time. Did you say do dogs purr? 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 Yes, like a cat. Purr. Yeah. Well, you know what? Without without hearing what you're saying, because I've yeah. heard, I've seen dogs growl and yeah. wag their tail, and and okay. you know, um, without really hearing it, I mean, dogs do make grunting noises, and and and, and yeah. could um, you know, it could be a happy noise. Really, it depends on the dog's body language while mm-hmm. the pet is doing that, and you can almost tell: yeah. is this a happy sound, or is this yeah. a sound like he's saying "stay away from me"? And if you get the feeling that it's a sound that the pet is saying "stay away from me," you know what? Your best bet is to stay away at that point yeah. Yeah. the uh the baskerville muzzle that we mm-hmm. we talk about all the time would be great it's sort of different you know it's not muzzles aren't it's not like your dad's muzzle you know and they're easy to treat and if you're in uh, they can still drink like that, water and they can pant they can do everything in it, it you is. know but joey can't you over time try to desensitize the dog by just going towards them and touching their feet with not, you know, no clippers in your hand and just sit there and play with their feet when they're laying on the couch and just constantly, constantly touching them with no threat to where they just kind of get used to it? You know, you absolutely can. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Alan Cable, welcome to another mess. Let's start it off right with your beer news watch. Beer for dogs? We plan on getting a Rottweiler. Well, any vet will tell you, dogs should never be given beer. Their livers don't metabolize alcohol the same way we do. And things like hops can hurt many dogs. It's sad that dogs up until this point couldn't enjoy beer, but a company called Wolf and Brew released a beer specifically for dogs. Are you ready to enjoy one with your dog? I'm just in my boxers right now. <laughs> this stuff has no alcohol or hops or carbonation. It's easy and safe for dogs to digest. So now you can share a beer with your best buddy. Hey folks, this is Jackson Galaxy. You're listening to Animal Radio. Please do everyone a favor, spay or neuter your animals today. Well, as many of you know, we've added a new puppy to the Animal Radio Studios, Pixel. Also known as Pixelator or Picasaurus. It's been a long time since we've had a puppy. Oh, uh, yeah. As you know, if you've ever had a puppy, they have a lot of energy, and you've got to have a lot of energy, too, especially when it comes to training. Potty training, that is. Of course. Well, all training all around, but potty training is, is one of the first things you want to do. And so we're using pads, but not just regular pads. 14 years ago when we raised our last puppy, all there was was these uh, very cheap pads. They would go on the pad. It would leak off the pad. They would step in it. It would end up all over the house. Oh, yeah. They couldn't even finish their business without having it pool around their feet. Then someone turned us on to Wiz Smart. W-I-Z-S-M-A-R-T. Wiz Smart. Yeah, we were desperate to find something that would work better than those old ones. We needed something that could absorb quickly. And the Wismart ones, they're thick. They absorb up to eight cups 
And it's not a one-shot deal. You can use them over, over and, and over. over. You can use them for, you know, up to 12, 24 hours. The other ones, they do it once and you had to throw it away. But these last a long time because they absorb so much and so quickly. I had to do a little research into their leak-proof design. I found out they're made from upcycled materials, deconstructed, and of course, unused diapers. Now when Pixel goes to the bathroom, she keeps her paws dry and she doesn't track around the house, and she can use the same pad all day long. Yeah, we don't have to run over there and change it real quickly and try to get it before it leaks all over the floor. I think anytime we find something here at Animal Radio that we really like, we want to share it with you. We Smart Pads, not only good for the puppies, if you have a senior dog... She endorses the product as well. Check out their website, wizsmart.com. That's W-I-Z-S-M-A-R-T.com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. There's a new study out that shows America's dogs and cats need... Well, much better dental care. You probably guessed that. The Pet Market Dental Study brings together perspectives from both veterinarians and pet owners. And the study looked at things like their, you know, pet foods, pet treats, their chews, their toys, pet toothpaste and medical services, and even some of the things that they use in the veterinarian offices and uh, dental cleanings. But veterinarians indicated that the majority of pets that they see have dental problems. So it's not just yours. You're not the only one getting that bad news when you take your pet in for an exam. But the vast majority of pet owners consider their pet's dental status as normal. And less than 30% recognized any potential teeth or gum problems in their pet. Now that said, 80% of dog owners and more than 50% of cat owners did purchase dental health products in the past year. But most of them were treats, so they were kind of doing double duty. But about 20% of dog owners and 10% of cat owners had their pet's teeth cleaned professionally in the past by a veterinarian. But the vets say that we need to do that more often. Finally, a Japanese pet supply company has created a pretty cute new sweatshirt. It's a different kind of a fashion statement. It's got a built-in pouch in the front of it. So we humans can carry our pets, or small cat is what it was made for. It's a pullover with a large vertical pocket on it. So, you know, a regular hoodie has kind of those pockets on the side. Well, this pullover hoodie is actually designed to put a cat in that vertical pocket. It's like a kangaroo pouch and is called the Mew Guru hoodie. It's not cheap either, but it's a great idea. I saw one on one website that sold for $101 plus the shipping from Japan. But it is a clever design, and it does come with a washable liner as well. So have fun with that. It's cute. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Once again, during the commercials, we were sitting there on the uh, Facebook page. Easy to get lost in it. And uh, especially with all the videos and all the cute pictures that everybody <laughs> posts every Wednesday for Wacky Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And if you're brand new to Animal Radio, we have this contest at our Facebook page at Animal Radio. And uh, you upload your Wacky Wednesday pictures on Wednesday or thereabouts. And by Friday, we get we count all the likes and all the shares. And the uh, person with the most shares or most likes wins some great prizes. So it's, it's really a popularity contest. Is that Okay. 
they all are. Every contest you enter your pet in is like vote, and all your friends get to vote. I so just want to be transparent. The people that have all the friends get usually win. If you don't have any Wacky Wednesday pictures, you should take some for this week's prize. Or if you don't have any friends, then yeah. vote for someone else's pet. <laughs> Isn't it funny what we'll do for other people's pets? Not necessarily the people, but for their pets. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. What do you got this week? This week from Calm My Pet, we have a stress kit. And this is supposed to help de-stress your pet. And it includes an essence that are actually supposed to relieve the stress and the worry and anxiety from your dog. But they put it together with the CD, which has been specially formulized to help Formulated? Them, formulized? Yes, formulated? Formulized. To help them with things such as thunderstorms and noises and stress. So you use this essence together with this CD music and you will have the ultimate relaxation experience for your pet. Or you. It sounds like yeah, it I could might be I want it. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, for your Wacky Wednesday prize this week. So head on over to your Facebook page at Animal Radio. And in just a few minutes, I just learned our hero this week is 10 years old. And it's actually, not only is she 10, but she's doing together with her brother. They're both heroes, and he's, uh, I think he's 11. So in the last, I would say, 26 weeks, we've had a lot of heroes. And yes. In fact, this is coming near the end of our hero segment. Yes. And we've had probably three or four that have been uh, under 14, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think there's more about five or so we've done oh. that have been. It's you know, And what I like is the, the name of their company that they made. It's called OMG. Oh, this one, they made a company? Yes, and it's called Owen. Don't, don't tell me okay. too much. I okay. want to find out. Well, I was just going to tell you just the title of it just really says a lot. I'm, I'm engaged. I want to be there. I'm okay. going to be there for that interview. Okay. Today, I will be there. I promise. And I do believe we are taking the next call, and we have Sue on the line. Hi, Sue. Well, hi. How are you? I'm doing great. Where are you calling us from? Uh, Tampa, Florida. I'm What's going Florida. on? I'm calling about a dog that I adopted um, from the animal um, shelter in November, and okay. I was visiting him. Well, actually, I'm a dog walker, and I fell in love with him um, last summer, and I brought him home in November. Uh, he's a five-year-old lab Catahoula mix, and he's okay. a great dog, love him to death, but I live here with my husband, and my daughter and her husband live with us uh, temporarily, and this dog seems to be confused who his owner is, I think. Is that possible? How so? Well, what's, well, what's he doing? He, he he follows me around when I'm here by himself, by myself with him. But when my son-in-law walks in, he just takes off. And he won't come to me when I call or anything. He, it's like he thinks he's his dog and he's mine. <laughs> and that bothers you, huh? <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm a, I, maybe it's jealousy, but, but seriously, I mean, I, I can't, he he just, you know, he just clings to him, and I have to, like, really encourage him to come with me um, to get him away from him, and I'm thinking, does he think he's his dog? Well, this might be something more than just, um, you know, who's who's the head head dog of the house, if you will. Um, who's the caretaker of the home? You know, who's giving him food? Who's letting him outside, taking care of all of his needs? Majority, that would be me. But playtime okay. is my son-in-law. He definitely okay. plays with him more than I do. 
You may have the same phenomenon going on in your house that I have in mine. I do all of what you just described. You feed them, um, take care of all of the medications, the light grooming, things like that. And my dogs, when I come home from work every night, they attack my husband and start playing with him and giving him attention. And I am truly chopped liver. And they just have no interest in anything that I have to do. But, you know, that's where it's kind of what what resource the different individuals are giving. Now, if he is always kind of anxious and following people around the house, then then that would be maybe a little bit more of something we need to talk about in the household setting about maybe setting up some routines that are really predictable for him. But mm-hmm. if it's when your your son just comes home and it's a playtime, then I don't necessarily think that's a forgetting who's the owner type thing it's just um you know that's the activity that they participate in together no different than if a you know a colleague came over and they played in the backyard it's ooh yay every time i see this person we play so there's a really oh, big okay. positive reward yeah oh okay and, well that makes it, that makes me feel better yeah I mean, I didn't want, and, I didn't, because i've never had an older dog like this before um i thought you know that was part of when you adopt a dog an older dog kind of thing and i just was confused yeah, no, and he's got, he's settled into the house, so is, is he comfortable in any behavioral problems like digging or being destructive, anything like that? No, no, he really, he's a, he's a real good boy. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. Well, well Sue, I, do- I totally sympathize with what you're going through because it is it's a daily battle in our household. <laughs> and it just doesn't seem fair because we provide all of the love, all of that attention. And, um, you know, I just can't even get a good petting or a head scratch come the end of the day. So I'm with you there. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Alan Cable with today's dog tip. We had an email from a listener whose dog was afraid of a new laminate floor. She said sometimes he seems to forget about it and find some peace, but invariably he refocuses on the floor and becomes afraid again. What can she do? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Dogs become afraid when they have a negative experience, a bad experience, and associate it with something. So you know how dogs get excited and run full speed? He was used to some other floor covering, and here it is, this nice slippery laminate. Maybe the dog took off on that new laminate floor when he got excited and couldn't stop. Slip across the floor and banged into the wall or just never had his legs taken out from under him like that before. So at that moment he became afraid and associates it with the floor. Now because she said he forgets sometimes and finds peace, that's the time to give him attention and reward him and say good dog, give him a treat. You can use that time to refocus his mind away from the fear and start forming a positive association with being on the floor by giving him affection and a treat. Now understand this is calm affection. Then you put his leash on and walk him around on the floor being all calm and acting like a leader. And when he's successful, you tell him what a good dog he is. If he's too afraid to venture on the floor, just stand there. Say nothing. Look straight ahead and stand there for three, four minutes. Then take off and try to walk the dog across the floor briskly. If he won't go, just stop and start over again. You can even walk in a circle away from the floor before turning back, facing it, and briskly trying to take off across it. Remember, you can't feel sorry for your dog, and you can't be tense. You've got to be totally calm and picture in your mind you and your dog walking across the floor like it's no big deal. The more calm and confident you are, the more you act like a leader, the more your dog is going to learn to trust you and to follow you. 
It's all about being a leader and building trust. So remember to walk your dog every day for at least 30 minutes. On your side or behind you, never in front. And remember, these things don't happen overnight. Whenever you try to change a dog's behavior or eliminate a fear, build positive associations, it takes time, consistency, and patience. Get more tips at AnimalRadio.com. This is Animal Radio, baby. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It is time for another hero, and I'm so glad to welcome back today, not welcome back, welcome for the first time to the airwaves, 10-year-old Olivia Reese. Hi, Olivia. How are you doing? How are you? I am. I'm so glad to be talking to you. I couldn't think of any other place I'd rather be right now than talking to you. <laughs> and I, I want to find out about this uh, nonprofit that you created called One More Generation. Is that what it is? OMG? Uh, yes. And, and why did you name it that? Well, um, when we were studying about endangered species, um, my mom... Um, she noticed that every time we were learning about something, we kept saying, oh, my gosh, OMG, <laughs> like learning about a new species. And so when we, were, we had our first board meeting, um, which we had no idea what it was, we, um, we were deciding company names. And I came up with um, things like, please feed me, please adopt me. And, um, and I was seven at the time. And my brother came up with something like, please save me for the next generation. So we wanted to incorporate the letters OMG into the company name, so we just came up with one more generation. Okay, and, and awesome. explain what that means, because you're, you're uh, worried about the animals that are going to become extinct. Is that correct? Yes. We're trying to educate the next generation of leaders to try to help save these animals for at least one more generation and beyond. And uh, your brother is involved with this, too, huh? Yes. And you started this when you were seven, so you've been doing this for three years now. And uh, I've, Yes? I've actually been doing it for five years, and I'm 12. Oh. Oh, well, it's, uh, okay, let's that. that's that. a big difference wow. there. So you've been doing this five years, and what have you accomplished yes. over the five years? Have you, you uh, brought awareness to people? Yes, we've brought plenty of awareness to schools, churches, um, clubs, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, just as many people as possible. And what's your ultimate goal? Is there a certain animal that you're trying to keep from going extinct, or just all of them? Well, all of them. Do you have to raise money or speak with local legislators or anything like that? Well, we come up with different things. Like we're doing a um, orangutan letter writing campaign where we're trying to get, we'll, 
that we're getting, we're teaching children about the problem of palm oil plantations and the orangutans and how they're being killed or put in the pet trade for um, just for the people um, cutting down the forests and stuff like that. So what we're doing is we're teaching um, children and adults about it, and they um, write letters that just sign a pre-written letter to the president of Indonesia and um, saying that he um, they want that him to stop. And so we're trying to collect as many as possible and then hopefully meet with him and deliver all the letters. And what do we, what, what do we want him to stop doing? Um, it's it, a, uh, a palm oil plantation. Okay. It's where um, they cut down the forest to plant uh-huh. palm oil trees, uh-huh. which they um, put palm, palm oil, palm kernel, palmitate, all the same thing, into our foods. And it's vitamin A. So what they're doing is they're cutting down the forest, and these orangutans and many other species are living in the forest. And um, if they see an orangutan, they might just shoot it or even um, sell it on the pet trade or even bury it alive, which is really gross. Olivia, you sound like you're doing a great job making uh, complex uh, situations and ideas pretty easy to understand. Thank you so much for that. You're our you're uh, our hero this week, and I got to say, you're my favorite hero. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Amazing. You're doing amazing. So you have the website. People can go to onemoregeneration.org, right? Yes. What's over at the website? Um, we have. Um, just things that we're doing, like the orangutan letter writing campaign that we're doing. You can download the sheets and write your own letter, color pictures, stuff like that. Um, but One More Generation is a nonprofit, and um, donations are greatly appreciated. You bet. So, yeah. Oh, okay, give locally there. Where Where are you? Where do you live? What city? We live in a, um, just outside of Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're in the Georgia area there, you want to give to a local organization doing good work. These kids, I mean, really... You're amazing. here. Just totally amazing. Yep, yep. Do you have any dogs or cats at home? I actually do. I have um, I have three dogs and I have seven cats. How'd you yeah. get so many cats? So we rescue them all. Um, we found most of them like in abandoned um, tennis courts and um, landfills while we're doing cleanups and stuff like that. We actually snuck one into our house from um, a, like a cleanup that we were doing, and our dad didn't know about it, so we just. <laughs> Brought them home, so. <laughs> if you have six, what's seven? What's one more? You they won't notice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. If you were here, we'd all give you a collective big old hug and thank you for what Absolutely. you're doing. And same thing, tell your brother Carter. We want to give Carter props too yes. for helping you out with this. Both of you. I just want to thank you for having me on your show. You know what? You're you can come on you. the show anytime <laughs> you want. Okay, anytime you want. You just call up and say, "I want to come on. I want to tell you guys what I'm doing now." Okay. All right. Thank you so much for spending time. I got to go melt <laughs> for a second. Amazing child. I love it. They're so young. I mean, to start, I mean, she's 12 now, but thinks she's been doing this for, for five, five years? years? Seven and she's years so old? she's so smart. I know. You know what she reminds me of? I'm trying to think which actress. I think it was Betty White who told us that she used to sneak animals in to her house. Was it Betty? No, it was uh, uh, Jenna Fisher. It was it Jenna Fisher? Oh, Scratch that. It was Lori Brooks. It was <laughs> yes, it was Lori Brooks. That's what it was. <laughs> I think we all did that. Well, there you go. We're, go. we're all going to get on out of here and walk our dogs and iguanas and flamingos, except for Dr. Debbie. You're, you're about to go do a surgery. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. A, a rabbit foreleg uh, amputation. <laughs> a rabbit? Foreleg meaning the front leg, not forelegs. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say. Right. Nice. That sounded weird. Explaining that. Yeah. So what happened to this rabbit? 
Um, it, it actually had a broken foot that's not um, amenable to fixing very easily, so we're removing it. You're such a multitasker. You do a radio show, then you're off doing surgery. <laughs> it's saving the world, and here we are. We're just going to go pick our noses and walk our dogs. This is Animal, Animal. Animal. Radio Network. Network.